0: Actually, you do not have these guys today or this week. Chris Long filling in for Mackey and Judd here with Jonathan Harrison on 1500 ESPN. Earlier this week, Matthew Collar and Darren Wolfson were filling in here. They brought on Kevin Seifert from ESPN.com. Talked about a bunch of different things. Football, obviously some things pertaining to the Vikings as they get set to play their regular season finale against the Chicago Bears on Sunday. Let's take a listen to that interview, how it went. Kevin,
1: uh, how are you? How was your Christmas? Not bad. How about yourselves? Oh, pretty good. Pretty good. I got uh, my grandparents bought me a Wolves hoodie, so now I got to be a Wolves guy and uh you know, I pay, I think I picked the right time cuz they're actually winning. So that's nice. I um, think the
2: hoodie. The hoodie aspect is good in this weather as well.
1: Uh yeah, when I got in the car it said -7 today. So that was not yeah. that was not great. It's oh, also
3: good no. for the studio when the normal host, one of the co-hosts is Mr. Hoodie.
1: Oh, yes. Yeah, yes. Uh, you'll never get quite to that level, but you can try. <laughs> no, the, uh, the all-star hoodie from the 80s that uh, Judd has, the NHL all-star game hoodie from then, is, is that's elite. That is elite hoodie game. Um, <laughs> Kevin, after watching last night's game, should Vikings fans be rooting to go to Philadelphia to play Nick Foles?
2: Huh. I would think the entire NFC would be at this point. Anybody, uh, the Vikings, uh, the Saints, the, uh, you know, really anybody who, uh, the Rams, it's going to be, uh, uh, you know, a Super Bowl contender in the NFC should have watched that game last night and been uh, been thrilled to see the, uh, the struggles the Eagles are having offensively, especially, um, and the apparent degree to which the Carson Wentz injury uh, really is going to affect them. I think we all knew that uh, intuitively that an MVP, uh, the loss of an MVP candidate um, would hurt them, but I don't know if anyone really had attributed you know, him to you know, single-handedly creating a Super Bowl-level team, and the evidence to this point has suggested that that's the case.
3: Kevin, it looks like you can also pass on the Eagles. That the defense has been leaky the last few weeks. Now, the Raiders took advantage of that long touchdown, the Cooper double move on Jalen Mills, but I'm thinking if it's Vikings-Eagles on January 21st, Case Keenum in the passing game can have success.
2: Yeah, I mean, those those defensive backs uh, sometimes are aggressive um, because they have uh, you know, a lot of uh, exotic pass rushes going on and they can be aggressive because the assumption in that type of scheme is that the quarterbacks are going to be rushed and taken off schedule and it works uh, to a large extent. But recently uh, we've seen some some teams kind of burn them on those double moves and you would think that something that blatant that, like, Okay, we see clearly see what the problem is. That, you know, we're biting on double moves, so let's stop. You know, that maybe that could be addressed on some level, and not be so easily exploitable. Um, Jim Schwartz is their defense coordinator. Uh, you know, he was up and down as the head coach of the Lions, but I think most people feel like he's a pretty has a pretty good handle schematically of NFL defense. So it would be surprising if they just week to week keep getting beat on a on a very specific. Uh, route or specific technique, and so we'll see if they can address that, but yeah, I mean, and you go back and look at some of the scores of the Eagles' games this year, I mean, they've, they have given up some points, but once, uh, you know, and last, and two weeks ago, with, with, against that Giants defense, uh, Nick Foles uh, was able to score enough points to uh, to overcome it, but uh, certainly when you get to the, when you get to the playoffs and you're playing good defenses and your high-flying, explosive offense gets, uh, gets push back a little bit um your own defense has to step up and that is a, definitely a concern right now for the eagles
1: ESPN's Kevin Seifert joining us Collar and Doogie in for Mackie and Judd uh Kevin so who becomes the NFC's strongest team if we assume the eagles are out of that conversation because of their quarterback
3: yeah
2: I mean I think you have to start with the Vikings you know I am uh, it they are playing as they're filling all the the, uh, the boxes for what you would say uh, would be a Super Bowl favorite. They're playing as well, if not better, now than they were at, uh, at any other point in the year. And you always want to go into the playoffs playing your best football. And I think we can, for the most part, uh, say that the Vikings are doing that. Uh, they have uh, Their defense is unmatched, I think, by any uh, NFC defense, for sure. Um, and that is always a huge and sometimes under-discussed part of playoff success is that when you get to the, when you get to the playoffs, you know, everybody, um, uh, you know, a lot of teams get to the playoffs by scoring a lot of points. And then if you have a defense that can, that can take that strength away from, from other contending teams and you already have a leg up. So that, you know, right, and we've, and we've discussed the Case Keenum and the offense and their explosiveness and the ability to get downfield pretty regularly this year. So you, you look at the most balanced team and the team with the best asset, uh, it's the Vikings and their defense. And you know, I don't know if there'd be many NFL observers who would, who would argue strongly against that point.
3: Let's presume Kevin, the Vikings are the two seed, even if they lose to Chicago, which I don't see happening, but even if they lose, there's still a good chance based on the other, games playing out the way that they should play out, there's still a very good chance yeah. the Vikings are the two. So let's look ahead to the weekend of January thirteenth. Let's continue those NFC power rankings. It looks like among the Panthers, Rams, and Saints, it looks like the sixth seed will be the Falcons or the Seahawks. So it looks like it'll be the Panthers, Rams, or Saints coming here, January thirteenth or fourteenth. If you're the Vikings, who do you want to see the most? Who do you want to see the least among those three teams?
2: Um interesting. Uh you know, you, normally you say you don't like to have to play a team for a second time or try to beat them for a second time in the playoffs. The Saints are a much, much different team than they were um, against uh, when the when the Vikings beat them earlier in, in the year. Uh, the one, I guess, the, what I would be afraid of um, if I were to be have any fear um, would be the Rams because they've been so uh, they've defied every expectation throughout the year. Uh, I know the Vikings handle them pretty um, handily, but that Sean McVay is a really good coach offensively, um, and he, I would expect that he would identify some of the things that went wrong and that they would not be quite as offensively inept, even against the Vikings' defense if they were to play in the playoffs. Um, and, that, you know, and that's to say that none of those three teams would, I think, would be favored to beat the Vikings. Um, but the one that would make me the most nervous is it just the unknown that could come from the Rams if that were to be the case? And that, I guess that's my first-blessed reaction. I know that Drew Brees is going to the Hall of Fame, and I know that uh, that uh, Cam Newton has won an MVP, um, they're both tried and true in, in the playoffs um, and tested. But I guess I would just be nervous about the unknown that the Rams presented.
1: Uh, who do you think right now, Kevin, is uh, coach of the year? When you bring up Sean McVay, I think he's got a really good argument for it. Although I think uh, me and Doogie could look good if we follow Jeff Fisher, I think. <laughs> but um, you know, I think he's got a he's got a really great argument for it. There's a number of other coaches. Doug Peterson also at the top of that list. Where does Mike Zimmer sit in that conversation for you?
2: He should be up there. You know, I don't haven't heard yet. It seems like the the coach of the year is always the coach who's um team defies the media expectations for whose team defies the media expectations for what they were supposed to do so you know sean mcveigh has done a great job the rams are one of the nfl's better teams this year but the big reason he's getting that uh that discussion more than some of the other people are um is that he uh, the rams were terrible when, when he took over and, and there weren't many expectations um I think it's it's an underrated but 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 thorough discussion to to put Mike Zimmer near the top of that list when you think about uh, you know go, losing Sam Bradford after the first week of the season essentially for the year. Uh, no one thinking that Case Keenum would would be able to take, including maybe Mike Zimmer. Who knows would would be able to take them uh, where they to where they've gone and and to lose Dalvin Cook, who you would assume they would have refocused their offense around over the long haul after the bradford injury and losing him um and then fielding uh this great defense that we all know he's largely responsible for so he's very much um should be in that mix i don't know what the what the, the people who vote and i don't have a vote uh will say but um traditionally uh for whatever reason it's the team with the that has succeeded the most amid the least media expectations. And that probably puts uh, the Rams or Sean McVay ahead of Mike Zimmer there.
1: Yeah. We don't even talk about Bill Belichick for this and his team is the best in the league. And I think maybe that's just because he's done it so many times. And then because he's got Tom Brady, my argument, I mean,
2: really he should be the coach of the year every year. It wouldn't even be fun. I mean, there's no, it's hard to, It would be hard to argue against the job that Bill Belichick does year in and year out, but that wouldn't be any fun.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like LeBron where you could give him the MVP almost every single year. My Mm -hmm. argument for Mike Zimmer, I made it at our website today, uh, just that this has kind of been four years in the making for Mike Zimmer, that his fingerprints are on every single element of this team, even if there's guys who were here before him. They draft Xavier Rhodes before him, but he plays such an integral role in developing Xavier Rhodes to a superstar. And you could say the same thing for Everson Griffin. What did he have, five sacks the year before Zimmer shows up? Now he's one of the premier uh, pass rushers in the NFL. And you just see that... All over this roster, and then the decision to put Pat Shermer in charge to create an identity for this offense uh, through the offensive line, the things that the changes that he made and how he handled adversity, Kevin, much better this year than he did last year.
2: Yeah, I mean, the amazing point to make there is that this time last year, many of us I know I was one of them were wondering if we had in fact found out why Mike Zimmer hadn't gotten a head coaching job uh, for all those years, despite the success he'd had defensively that, that maybe he was too much of a you know introverted grinder and, and not a guy who could capture a room in a way that would make players loyal and and wanting to run through the wall for him and that maybe he would not you know maybe he had made a, a tremendous career altering, altering mistake by not by hiring Nora Turner but by giving him such free reign that when things went poorly that there wasn't really a recourse for him to step in and be the head coach um, of the offense and so Last year this time, it was you know they were, they were a you know from the outside they mm-hmm. appeared to be a mess. Um, you know the 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 there's no doubt that the transition to Shermer has gone as well as it possibly could have, and I'd imagine part of that is uh, the result of, of Mike at least asserting his control as a normal head coach would, even with a defensive background, and just you know being able to participate in the in the development of the offense. Was, it, it makes a difference, um, and. Well, I think we also you know we also give uh, uh, Zimmer credit for identifying the type of players he needed he needs to have a successful defense. We should also note that Rick Spielman is the one who went out and drafted them. and so they have together combined to to you know if you look at who's who's leading this defense and for them and for other than Griffin, I would say, uh, you know for the most part, they've all been drafted uh, under the under the Zimmer Spielman watch, maybe Harrison Smith the year before as well. but uh, that, that also goes into it. But it, it's been a tremendous turnaround, um, and I think now you look at the big picture of, of Mike's career, and you say the first year, uh, Peterson gets suspended for the entire year, so that's a huge setback. The second year, they win the division and should have won a playoff game, were it not for the missed field goal. The third year, um, all hell breaks loose. Uh, Bridgewater gets hurt. Uh, you know Injuries throughout the offensive line. Zimmer has the eye injuries, and they kind of crumble but then this year when things are more or less normal they again are the division champions so in the big picture um, when things aren't completely chaotic and and crumbling largely due to events beyond their control they've been a pretty good team under under him
3: Kevin New Year's Day will also be Black Monday in the NFL how many openings do you foresee as of next week and how does Pat Shermer fit into that mix yeah
2: it's um the, the the early prediction numbers are as high as Ten, maybe more. Um, So a little bit less than a third of the league, which is kind of crazy. But that uh, you know, whenever you're one of the top teams in the league, teams are going to at least look at your coordinators. And um, you know, I I don't know how much George Edwards, uh, George Edwards, will get with everyone sort of knowing that Zimmer calls the plays and is largely the de facto defense coordinator. But Pat Shermer um, will get has gotten a lot of credit around the league for not only for finding a way to make it work a lot better than it had, but uh, really adjusting under a new quarterback, encouraging uh, or finding a way to get Case Keenum to perform at a level that he had never come close to before. Uh, And losing Dalvin Cook is obviously a big uh, schematic thing that had to be addressed as well. And they have found answers. So, you know, he's been a head coach before. Um, sometimes you don't count when the guy's been the Browns head coach in terms of evaluating uh, his performance because there's such dysfunction there anyway. But um, you know, I would imagine at the very least he'll get interviews, and it'll be up to him to, uh, to uh, impress the owners or uh, make a presentation that inspires somebody to hire him. But he'll certainly get in front of some people, I would think, this, uh, in the next few weeks.
1: Kevin, one last thing before we let you go. So, we're going to spend the rest of the show giving some uh, predictions of what's going to happen in Minnesota sports in 2018. In the NFL, is there a change coming that you kind of see in your crystal ball in 2018? I, I kind of think we talked, we started talking about it that sports gambling at some point. And maybe it's in 2018 starts to become more commonplace here, or starts to be allowed by teams. Is is there something from a league standpoint that you think is going to change next year?
2: Yeah, I mean that's that's obviously something that all the big wigs have their uh, their eyes on. Um, you know, for many years, really up until very recently, the NFL has completely uh, frowned away from any level of sports gambling, um, largely out of concern, I guess that. That an association with it would threaten the idea that that these games are uh, are truly uh, you know reality based and not rigged and not uh, not getting into a position where you go way back in history and talk about the Chicago Black Sox where uh, where teams where players were bought um, in baseball to uh, to throw the World Series and so that would be a crippling if that were ever to come in the nfl or any other sport now that would be a crippling blow to the product that they're selling so they have never um oh they've always stayed away from it but to be totally and completely honest there's just way too much money in it now to uh, to avoid it um there's really no way to prevent it we all know that if you want to gamble on games you can do it so you might as well open it up um participate in the regulation of it i guess and uh, and everybody makes more money and ultimately they are a business um they're not teaching uh sunday school class in terms of morality and i think uh it'll just be a matter of time before they get much more involved in it than they are right now
1: kevin really appreciate your time enjoy the rest of your holiday okay thank you guys.
4: 1500 ESPN, visit St. Paul, the city of St. Paul, and Wells Fargo. Invite you to experience Wells Fargo Winter Skate, a free outdoors, artificially chilled ice skating rink in downtown St. Paul at Rice Park. Open seven days a week and located in the heart of the city, Winter Skate creates a fun winter experience for visitors of all ages. More details can be found at 1500ESPN.com, keyword events. And this portion of the Mackey and Judd Show is presented by Sprint. If that ice in downtown St. Paul is good enough for the Toronto
0: Maple Leafs, it should be good enough for yeah. us to go try it. Did you see that when they were out there? No, that's awesome. When the Maple Leafs were here playing in the wild, they, uh, I don't know whether they rescheduled. They canceled a morning skate, I think, mm-hmm. or an afternoon skate. They arrived and they were playing the next day. Somebody spotted the rink. They were staying at the St. Paul Hotel and somebody okay. spotted the rink uh, and went, hey, <laughs> Why don't we go down there? (laughs) I think Jake Gardner who's from Minnetonka is on the Mm -hmm. Leafs. I think he had something to do with it. So they made a phone call and they went and played like a three-on-three intramural tournament. That's awesome. On it right there, called in a couple high school goalies from in town. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think the story went that Gardner's father is either a coach or knows coaches and called a couple high school guys and said, Hey, you guys want to just play a little shinny with the Toronto Maple Leafs today? That's awesome. Uh, And they played a little three-on-three intramural tournament in Rice Park and, uh, as twitter got word of it a lot of fans went out it was pretty mm-hmm. cool uh chris long here apologizing for my voice i sound way better than i did yesterday promise you that uh filling in for mackie and judd jonathan harrison producing and and flying uh riding shotgun here as we get through the final hour on the nine to one show um do you watch are you into? how much scale of one to ten how much of a hockey fan are you
4: uh when it comes to the olympics i'm Pretty up there, but generally it's probably four. That's about where I would put. Yeah. It. So you'll you'll watch a big wild game, but mm-hmm. yeah. So i I've, I've, you probably know I already
0: knows I'm hockey's my primary sport. I love yep. it. The World Junior Championship is going on right now. It's a tournament I love watching, not just because you know it's that chance to see. Ooh, I saw them back when, but yeah, it's really good hockey, and especially when you see the Canadian team involved. The junior <laughs> team in Canada is an absolute national. Phenomenon. They love watching the World Junior Tournament. It's being played in Buffalo this year. Uh, The the big game between the United States and Canada is actually going to be, let's see, what's today? Thursday. It's tomorrow. They're playing it outside of the Bills Stadium. That's awesome. That'll be really cool. They're not doing it just as a gimmick. Well, it's kind of a gimmick. They're Mm -hmm. not doing it just to have an outdoor game. The reason they're doing it is they're going to sell 40,000 tickets to crazy Canadians coming down from Toronto to watch the game. Right. Uh, so that'd be pretty cool. I think the US plays tonight, actually. They play Slovakia tonight. They destroyed Denmark nine to nothing in their
4: opener. <laughs> they're the um, favorites this year.
0: Yeah, which is a little bit of a switch. Um, and what's neat about this year, and I'm, you know, as parochial as anybody in Minnesota, I first mm-hmm. thing I do when the US national roster comes out, how many Minnesotans? Well, there's 10. Wow. Um, and they're playing key roles. They're not just on the team. Um, Joey Anderson from Roseville, he plays at UMD, went to Hill Murray. He's the captain, Ryan Lindgren, who is currently a Gopher from Lakeville. He's one of the alternate captains, and the other alternate captain is uh, Kiefer Bellows from Edina, who didn't get as much run as a high school player here because he went to the national team mm-hmm. as young as he possibly could. But Brian Bellows' son um, is going to be a fantastic National Hockey League player. But it's just it's it's an it's basically a Minnesota All Star team from high school age kids from one to four years ago. Uh, and it's, uh, it's been a fun team to watch. I watched some of the um, the pre-tournament games that they played, and then the game against Denmark was a clinic. But Casey Stats <laughs> on the team, current gopher that a lot of people. He scored a goal the other yeah. night. Picked a puck out of midair, and it wasn't a swat. He, he has the best hands I've seen out of a high schooler in this area in the 17 years I've been in Minnesota. It, it's so much fun to watch him play. Anyway, watching the World Juniors was the first time, or two nights ago when it debuted, it was the first time that my thoughts turned it all to Olympic hockey. Yeah. And you mentioned you mm-hmm. dial in tightly when it becomes Olympic hockey. Yeah. I don't think the American public. I don't think they do. Knows. And and many of you listening right now maybe don't know. When you sit down to watch the Olympics in Korea here in, what are we? A month or so? Six weeks away, I think. Yeah. The hockey team that you see playing with the United States on their jersey. And this is, I, and I need to stress this. This is no disrespect to the guys that are going to go play. There are some guys with local ties. There are some Minnesota collegians. There are some Minnesota natives. This is no disrespect to those guys. Mm -hmm. This is not going to be the Olympic team that you're used to. Now it's not even going to be the Olympic team that you were used to back in the 80s and 90s when they were using a college all-star team. What the team is going to be, and this is the first time I'd looked at the roster, what the team is going to be is mostly... Well, not even mostly minor leaguers, it's it's almost exclusively going to be guys who are currently playing overseas, a couple minor leaguers, Ryan Malone from the Iowa Wild, uh, St. Cloud, what, 2002, two three probably? Uh, he he's, was on this preliminary tournament roster that played. It's guys that you, unless, I, I, I mean, I scrolled down it, the only name that I recognize that jumped out was Brian Gianta. He played for 15 <laughs> years in the NHL. He's 39 years old. Wow. Uh, he's a free agent, not playing. Played for Buffalo last year. They didn't re-sign him. He didn't mm-hmm. find a home, so he's gonna play. Beyond that, it's it's. I'm picking off guys. There's Garrett Rowe is a guy I recognize because mm-hmm. he went to St. Cloud last decade. Ryan Stoa is a former yeah. Gopher. Tom Gilbert, Bloomington native, played for the Wild a couple years ago. Uh, the starting goalie I've heard of because he played for the Florida Everblades in the ECHL when I was in Fort Myers, <laughs> covered him for a year. This guy's going probably, well, they still may call a couple college guys in. That's where this gets interesting. Mm-hmm. Jordan Greenway, who's another wild prospect who is a fantastic prospect, probably is going to depart his college team to go play in the Olympics. Yeah. There will be four or five of those guys, And I this think. is
4: because the NHL owner said, no, we're it's not the It's all because the NHL, right. Shut it down, yep. and um because they couldn't make any money off of it, essentially that's the bottom line. I mean, yep. that's
0: the reason that this is yep. happening. And they said it was because they're worried about injuries; they don't want to mess up yep. their schedule. I, I get all that, but I don't think the American public no, and and the Olympics is always about stories. Mm-hmm. And you, you you the networks over the years have done a great job of. It's not so much about the competition; it's about the the, the stories. And I'm, it's fine. I get that. I watch for the competition, but that's fine. I understand that. That's what draws people. Uh, but hockey's the exception. Hockey's the one you tune into for the competition. Yeah, The Russian team may not even be there because of...
4: Doping. Uh, yeah, they've yeah.
0: been thrown out of the Olympic Games, and they're trying to figure out a way to get in, but they won't be competing for Russia. It'll be as an independent team. Mm-hmm. And the American team, I don't think people realize it. It's going to be interesting to see the backlash when people tune in and go, who in the heck right. are these guys? Jonathan, Chris, filling in for Mackie, and John, will be back after this. Hopefully everyone riding through the town safely. Sounds like the roads aren't as bad as they could have been, considering what the weather forecast was going to be, but that, take it easy if you're out there. Nice thing, I guess, it's that transition holiday week that there's not nearly as many. I know in my commuting today, there was not nearly as many cars on the road as I thought there were Jonathan Harrison. When I woke up, I went, oh, no. Right. That's why I got I here so early. I got out. I'm not a get-here-early guy ever. Mm-hmm.
4: I looked out the window and I said,
0: oh, I got to get going. Yeah. And no problem.
4: Well, I was here by 5, so I didn't really have to deal with traffic. But I, <laughs> You win. <laughs> but I got outside and I looked out. And I'm like, oh, man, the, right, the roads are going to be terrible today.
0: That's uh, yeah, Jonathan Harris. I'm Chris Long filling in for Mackey and Judd. Some uh, well-deserved R&R for them in this uh, holiday transition week. Filling in yesterday were Matthew Collar and Jess Myers. They did such a nice job with their interview with Mike Golick Jr. Thought you guys might enjoy hearing it again. They're going to cover uh, Week 17 in the NFL. Matthew Collar...
1: And Jess Myers in here for Mackie and Jed, joining us from ESPN, Mike Golick Jr. Mike, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys? Happy holidays. Happy holidays to you. Can you explain why your old buddy Harrison Smith is not in the Pro Bowl, Mike?
5: You know what? I have been deep diving through X's and O's. I have talked to advanced analytics people. I have spoken to a warrior priestess and a couple of mystics, and none of them can provide me the answers that I seek in this area. So I'm just going to go ahead and assume that people had a little too much holiday food. They got gone off the cookies. There was a lot of ham involved early on. When the voting was taking place and people just flat out made a mistake, is that the only
1: thing I can come to? Mike, I generally wouldn't care. I mean, Pro Bowl snubs, yeah, yeah, it gives us something to talk about for a day, and I just sort of roll my eyes. But that one was so ludicrous that I can't let it go, and clearly neither could he from what he did the other night uh, with an interception and blowing up screen passes. I mean, he's always a motivated guy, but it looked like he even took it to the next level there. Is there is there something different we should do with the Pro Bowl to make it a little more relevant or to make the voting a little better, or are we just going to hate this thing till the end of time?
5: I think this is something we're just born and predisposed to hate at this point, and there's so much that's been tinkered with and done with it over the years, and all of us let it, led us back to the same place where I think there's always going to be instances like this, and I think in particular with guys like Harrison, and this goes for a couple of my former teammates, a lot of this happened in college with Zach Barton, who's obviously now enjoyed a wealth of success with the Cowboys but guys like this who are so focused on what they do they go about their business the right way and they don't let these things bother them these accolades really don't matter all that much to guys like Zach to guys like Harrison who know their worth and are so much more focused on doing what they can do for the team so it makes you care more on their behalf because you understand these guys don't really need it and you want it that much more for them for that reason and so I think that's a, lot of, that's a big part of it with Harrison is you see this guy that tends to be the quiet leader and is so focused on doing things for the team and does. He is, he is unbelievably important on that secondary coming up in a racing plays the way we've watched him since he was in college. And for that reason, I think we care that much more, but that's not going to change anytime soon. I don't know if there's any amount of you know, tinkering or more fan vote or more player input which is something people always clamor for that's really going to always address the ills that pop up like this.
0: Mike, it's Jess Myers. Let me ask you this. Here in Minnesota, we're gearing up for that Sunday Vikings-Bears game, last uh, regular season home game for the Vikings. We're also bundling up, by the way, because it's unbelievably cold here right now. But let me read you a quote and tell me what you think of this. The quote is, I've never had trouble getting employment in this league, and I'm not going to start worrying about it now. That's John Fox when he was asked about his job security in, in Chicago. Is, uh, is this a guy who's checked out, and is he going to be coaching somewhere next year, somewhere else next year?
5: You know, I think he's a guy who's been around this game long enough to know that this isn't a marriage that's going to last beyond the last game of the season here. And I think that's what you're sort of seeing as a guy who's a bit of a realist, but also understands that, listen, the best mark on a resume for someone looking for work in the NFL is to have already been a coach in the NFL. So he's probably right in the fact that someone is going to give John Fox work somewhere in this league. I just don't ultimately believe it's going to be in Chicago After this season, and and this is what we've seen happen more and more across the league, is especially when young quarterbacks are involved, and you're on the cusp of having to make a big decision. Of all right, we just sunk you know that top pick, one of those top picks, into a guy that we think could be our franchise guy. Is this the guy at the helm that we want molding that ball of clay into our franchise quarterback? And if the answer is no, and if you have the results in this case this season to back it up, you make that move, and you make that move quickly because we understand and have seen – Coaching decisions made not always right. I mean, the the dirt Cutters and Ben McAdoo's of the world were made with the same decisions in mind of pleasing quarterbacks on the roster. It doesn't always work, but we know that drives decision-making.
1: Matthew Collar, Jess Myers, in for Mackey and Judd with uh, Mike Golick Jr. from ESPN. Uh, Are you buying Mitchell Trubisky stock at this point?
5: Uh, You know what? I'm holding on to the stock I have, and I'm not buying anymore, but I'm not getting rid of it yet either. This is a kid who is basically in the same position we saw and now just has a little bit more experience underneath his belt. He's got the same traits. He moves well out of the pocket. He's athletic. He throws a good ball all these different things, and what you've seen at least, I think the biggest thing to glean from him over the season is that he's a guy who's comfortable with the role. That was something that we looked at Derek Goff last year and said this guy looks like he's wearing his big brother's shoulder pads. He doesn't look like he's in the same league with a bunch of grown men out there. And then this year with a different coach and a different philosophy and different parts around him, he has been resurgent and he's been part of a huge jump. With Mitchell, you've heard a lot about his command in the huddle. You've heard a lot about him sort of going out there and not only earning but demanding respect along the way as the leader of that offense from guys on his team, even veteran guys, and that's something that's been appreciated. So I think if you take that mentality and now probably infuse it with new coaching and new people coming into that building, I think you've got a guy with traits that you can take and still form into a, a, a franchise quarterback. And I was talking to Field Yates the other day who said when he was a scout, that's the one thing he said we draft traits we don't draft production and Mitchell mm-hmm. has taken those traits and shown that they translate at least in part at the NFL level so far
1: uh, yeah there's a, there's a lot of that Bears situation that looks to me like it's got Rams 2017 written all over it like they could be the team that next year takes the big step and whoever their fresh hot new co- uh, coach is is in the coach of the year conversation uh Mike the way that fans are viewing this team now is they're kind of just waiting for something to go wrong because that's how they are here in Minnesota after seeing so many things go wrong. I don't know who you grew up rooting for. Did you ever have that feeling where you went into the playoffs or based on history or just the, uh, or maybe that's just the way you view sports where you felt like, yep, this this isn't going to go our way. This is just too good to believe, like with the Vikings, uh, with the potential of playing the Super Bowl at home.
5: Well, listen, growing up, I was a a pro fan of the Philadelphia Eagles back in the early 2000s when it was NFC Championship every year, but you kind of knew that was the ceiling for the most part with the exception of that one Super Bowl year, and that ultimately got Andy Reid out of town. But, I mean, hell, I've been a Notre Dame fan my whole life, and you want to talk about the story of Notre Dame football since that last title. It's been waiting for the other shoe to drop the way that happened to us this year, and you can understand that. The thing that would give me a little more hope is Your situation is really not abnormal, especially in the NFC this year. Outside of the New Orleans Saints and Drew Brees, you don't have quarterbacks that have gotten over that Super Bowl hump. You've got guys that have been there from the NFC South. But in general, with everyone else, the Philadelphia Eagles are a team that I would knock out of Super Bowl contention right now, based on what we've seen mm-hmm. with we Nick Foles having to step in late these last couple of games. And then you look at the Rams and Jared Goff, and while he's done very well this year, you understand that that may not just be all Goff in that one. So, for people to want to isolate Case Keenum and make him the unknown, the wild card, and the problem, you've had that guy that's been doing it all season. And at some point, like the Atlanta Falcons that we mentioned, you are who you've been the whole year. We can talk about Atlanta of yeah. it in that offense and what we think it could be and what it's on the cusp of but we know what it is at this point and that's probably going to be the case with Case Keenum you can talk about it waiting for him to implode or be less than he's been or you can look at it and say man you know what this guy for the most part has been pretty consistently productive this season and he may not be a world beater but he's a guy that's made more than well enough use of the weapons around him and they are plentiful maybe better than he's ever had any time in his career maybe that's just who he is too and that's going to be good enough for you
1: you know I never realized how much I said, and that's the case, or that could be the case, until Case Keenum took over as quarterback. That's <laughs> the, the Keep in mind,
0: Vikings day fans day. are coming off uh, Vikings fans are coming off having a quarterback where they kept
3: pondering whether he'd be any oh, good. So geez. we've been oh, down this man. road. That's so, that's
1: yeah. brutal, Mike. I One of the, my favorite things when you come on with uh, Mackie and Judd every week. Um, is that they could throw anything at you, so I'll throw this at you too. College playoff system, we're getting ready for it. I know you're a big college football guy. Do you like it the way it is? Should it be changed? I mean, it just seems like we're always changing everything all the time, and that's fine with me if it's for the better, but I kind of like it the way it is with the Final Four. How do you feel about it?
5: I do too. Listen, I understand people are going to clamor for expansion and all these things, but I don't see anything wrong with the place we've landed In college football now. I understand people want to talk about a devalued bowl system, but really, people are looking at value there selfishly. They're not looking at the value that the system has really always presented, because I don't see bowl games as any more or less inherently meaningful now than they were when I was a player back in the BCS era. The bowl game, you know the haves and the have-nots when it comes to bowl season. We've just got a little clearly defined, maybe step up in the section of haves. I think you open it up to eight, and you get a lot of the same conversations with more teams, and you get that chance where now you've got all conference champions with a buy-in, I don't really care all that much about that, because at the end of the day, this is the system that people wanted. If you wanted absolutes, you would have kept those computers, but we wanted subjectivity, we wanted some degree of barbershop banter when it came to this. Well, our problem is, and the problem with most people that complain, is it's not their input that's being directly heard in this, it's that group of 13 people whose resumes we deemed worthy of being on that committee. And so anytime you leave it in someone else's hands, it's all always going to be ridiculed. It's always going to be parsed through a little bit more than I think it deserves to. I'm cool with where we're at. And and I think more people should sit down and accept it because this is what they asked for. And as soon as it gets here, we find a new complaint. (laughs) Hell, it's 2017 borderline 2018. That's just kind of how we get down.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, I think you just described everything all the time. Uh, But (laughs) uh, Mike, awesome stuff. Great to have you on. Hope you're uh,
4: you and the family have a great holiday. Hey,
5: you guys,
4: too. Stay warm. This final segment of the Mackie and Judd Show brought to you by Maurer Chevrolet.
0: That's Jonathan. Oh, I didn't mean to step on the music there. That's Jonathan Harrison. I'm Chris Long filling in for Mackie and Judd here. Final segment here. Last time I'll be on the station, I believe, in 2017. So happy New Year to everybody that's listening. Jonathan, story of the year in your mind. I'll I'll throw out a couple here. Story of the year for 20, and I'm not trying to be poetic or anything mm-hmm. about this, but sports story of the year. I mean, there's so many memories for me, whether it's the, the way the Super Bowl ended or Mississippi State beating the UConn women's basketball team, uh, Federer winning Wimbledon, an amazing World Series locally. Lynx win the WNBA. Yeah. Uh, Caleb Truax, first local boxer in a long time, only mm-hmm. second
4: in the modern Another era one. to be a world champ. Uh, what's your story of the year, whatever that means to you I in I think locally for me it's got to be Case. Nationally, I don't know. I haven't really thought of that yet nationally. Uh, Pfft.
0: You got a couple days left.
4: Yeah, I got a couple days left. I still got Sunday sports talk. <laughs> That's right. I'll offer it. On that New Year's list.
0: Eve. Uh, thanks for helping. Oh, it was amazing fill-in efforts by all kinds of people today, Matthew. Collar yourself. Uh I'd like to pat myself on the back for filling in as well. Uh Matthew and Judge showing 1500 ESPN. I think collar is back tomorrow yep. with Courtney Cronin, I yep. believe. You're gonna want to Football tune- Friday. A lot of football. Tune in then. Thanks. See ya.